This is the Public Radio Hour, our weekly mix of special programs, community conversations, and homemade radio features. I'm your host, Brett Tannehill. Coming up, we've got our minds on the moon and the upcoming Artemis mission. We'll talk with retired NASA engineer and UAH eminent scholar, Dr. Dale Thomas. Technology is nothing more than understanding how Mother Nature works. We can't do a thing with technology that Mother Nature doesn't let us do. Downtown Huntsville Inc. President Chad Emerson wants you to dress like an astronaut and celebrate Artemis on the Square November 6th. And then we'll shower you with more beach balls. Funny You Should Ask introduces us to Transformer and comedian Elliot White. That's the thing about humor is it's something that we all find in common. Sometimes when people don't get a joke, that's one thing, but like your goal is to make people unite. You're supposed to have them like, oh, I get this. The Public Radio Hour is next here on 89.3 Huntsville Public Radio. This is the Public Radio Hour on 89.3 Huntsville, our weekly mix of special programs, community conversations, and homemade radio features. I'm your host, Brett Tannehill. Coming up on the show, Katie Ganaway delivers another exploration of Huntsville's comedy scene in a new edition of Funny You Should Ask. We'll meet comedian Elliot White, who is also a host and producer on both Awesome Comedy Hour and Epic Comedy Hour. We'll also learn about the Downtown Huntsville Explorer podcast with Downtown Huntsville Inc. President and CEO Chad Emerson, who will also give us a preview of Artemis on the Square coming up on November 6th. And speaking of the Artemis missions, humankind's return to the moon and eventually Mars, the first unmanned test flight of the space launch system, the Artemis 1 mission, is nearly upon us. And as excited as I am about that, I'm realizing when I bring it up in casual conversation, not everyone knows what I'm talking about. To help us better understand Artemis and its significance in spaceflight history, Dr. Dale Thomas stopped by for a chat. Dr. Thomas is a retired NASA program manager who worked on projects including the International Space Station and the Constellation Program, which is the precursor to the Space Launch System. Thomas is currently a professor and eminent scholar of system engineering in the Department of Industrial and System Engineering and Engineering Management at the University of Alabama in Huntsville. He's also a deputy director of UAH's Propulsion Research Center and a director of the Alabama Space Grant Consortium. Dr. Thomas is on an incredible career path that is literally helping take us to the moon and beyond, a path that started in the hills of North Alabama. So when I was a little boy growing up on Sand Mountain uh, in the 60s, my dad actually worked for General Electric, and he was uh, working on Apollo ground support equipment. And he actually built the launch countdown sequencer for the Saturn uh, first stage. So, uh, you know, he was working real hard on the Apollo program. You know, we knew about the race to get a man on the moon. And, um, you know, sometimes he would, and they were working very long hours. Sometimes it was seven twelves. Sometimes he would come home and say, hey, if you will listen tomorrow at this time, you may be able to hear a rocket engine test. And sometimes we could, all the way over on Sand Mountain. Okay. I, oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, sometimes we heard the rumble, and that was just amazing. And... You know, I knew I wanted to be an engineer and work for NASA, you know, and uh, things worked out where I was able to fulfill that. So tell me what was science class like back in those days for you? You had a, <laughs> a father who was already doing this and you're in science class as a kid, knowing you wanted to 
head in that direction. Yeah, so I, I took all, you know, the the math and science that I could, you know, chemistry and physics. There weren't a lot of advanced offerings, uh, you know, at uh, Albertville High School, which is where uh, I went to school. But, uh, you know, we took what we could have. And fortunately, um, you know, in high school, we had a physics teacher who would actually let us go and play in the in the lab. And when I say play, it was lightly supervised. He let us, you know, experiment some. And uh, so that that was great. So the teachers, even though we didn't necessarily have a lot of advanced offerings, uh, they, you know, were very uh, supportive and encouraging of their curiosity. And myself and some of my classmates, you know, uh, would uh, go in there and rather than sneak out, you know, uh, to play hooky or something, we would play in the labs. And uh, our teachers were great. So what happened after graduation? So after graduation, uh, I came to get my bachelor's here at UAH, started in 1977, graduated in 81 uh, with my bachelor's of, uh, in engineering. At that time, it was a bachelor of science in engineering, and my specialty was industrial and systems engineering. And upon graduation, I went to North Carolina State University uh, to graduate school and got my master's there. And upon graduation, I was able to, uh, Marshall had started hiring a little bit, and I was able to join Marshall Space Flight Center uh, at that time. And, you know, that uh, that was in 83. And, you know, I stayed with NASA for 32 years working at Marshall Space Flight Center and Johnson Space Center, Johnson two different times. And I also did a rotation at headquarters, but uh, mainly at Marshall and Johnson and primarily at Marshall of those two. We're talking with Dr. Dale Thomas here on the Public Radio Hour. Uh, Dr. Thomas, uh, you mentioned uh, your time with NASA. You uh, were a deputy manager uh, in the Constellation program, Mm -hmm. uh, which has evolved, obviously, into the current space launch system. And that's currently working toward carrying humans back to the moon and eventually to Mars. And you're also working with students here at UAH over in the Propulsion Research Center, and you're also the director of the Alabama Space Grant Consortium. So tell us a little bit, we heard a little bit about your early days as a student. Tell us about your students now. What sort of future do you see for them in space? Uh, and what's the biggest difference you see in them than when you were when you were coming up? Yeah, so it's real interesting. So if you look at, at my uh, timing, I was real excited by the moon race, but by the time I got out of college, you know, Apollo was long gone. The shuttle launched actually while I was in college at North Carolina State. And so, you know, that was sort of the environment uh, that I, you know, joined NASA in. Uh, the, the next big program, the one that I cut my teeth on, if you will, at NASA was the International Space Station, which, by the way, it's still great to go out in the backyard and watch it thing fly over it's you know. neat you can it, look up it, and actually see it yeah strange. and you know if you even have a pair of binoculars you can actually see the shape of it it is huge you know have, have you done it have you looked at it yeah I've, yeah, yeah i have this is pretty amazing yeah it, it is and uh but anyway so that's that's sort of where we were i guess what's so exciting about an engineer in college now uh it, it's a just an awesome time to be an engineer a young engineer who is it you know Uh, passionate about space because we've got, you know, the commercial companies, you know, SpaceX and Blue Origin and some others who are launching, 
you know, satellites and crew into space, you know, with uh, CubeSats. All of a sudden, satellites are not the exclusive province of, you know, Hughes and Boeing, you know, these big conglomerates, but universities can build satellites. And, you know, even high school can build satellites. And for those listeners who don't know what a CubeSat uh, is. So a CubeSat is a very small satellite. It's roughly four inches on the side, a cube, if you will. Uh, to put it in perspective, it's like a small Kleenex box. Okay, you know, the, the cube. Bigger than a Rubik's Cube. <laughs> yeah, yeah, quite a, like I said, f- about four inches, about your hand, if you will, about four inches on a side. And they've been made possible by all the advances in electronics. You can do things in much smaller packages than you could back in the day. And with the scale of the satellites coming down, the cost has come down, you know, significantly as well. What so do these things do? They can do almost anything. As a matter of fact, uh, some of the... Uh, constellations of satellites that are going up now to provide uh, services like the SpaceX Starlink. Uh, while it's not a true CubeSat, it's it's a fleet of very small satellites. So the point is, you can do almost anything with a CubeSat. Now, certainly, you know, something like the James Webb Space Telescope, okay, you can't, there's no way to scale a large mirror needed to gather enough light to look, you know, billions of years back in time. You can't do that on a CubeSat. You've still got to have that huge mirror and optics. So not everything will scale down. But a lot of science missions now, NASA is advertising for science missions that they actually intend to be accomplished by CubeSats because it lets them do more science for less money. It's a great advance in technology. And I understand the Alabama Space Grant Consortium. We're kind of getting into dream world here a little bit. <laughs> but... Uh, Assuming we get to the Artemis three mission, that is kind of an, an idea, a dream of the consortium is to get yeah. some student-built CubeSats flown and launched into space. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, UAH actually flew a CubeSat back, I want to say, 2014, 2015, something like that. They called a ride share. That's the other thing. I these, remember that, these, yeah. yeah. these small CubeSats, you know, they'll ride on a launcher that has, you know, a few excess pounds, you know, they they design and they carry margin. And then usually at the end of the day, they've got a few pounds of leftover lift capacity. And they'll let these CubeSats ride along as, quote, secondary payloads, unquote, which means it's like hitchhiking. You know, you go wherever the rocket's going and it'll kick mm-hmm. you out when it gets there. <laughs> OK, but that's another fantastic opportunity. So, uh, yeah, colleges have flown them before. What we're trying to do now is... Um, develop a, an actual true scientific mission on a CubeSat, not just something like Sputnik that flies over and beeps or flashes a light, if you will, which is a great project, you know, just to build and fly something. I'm, I'm not dissing that. I'm saying we're actually trying to go the next level and design and build uh, a competitively bid uh, CubeSat. Right? That is, we're going, we're proposing to a competitive solicitation by NASA uh, which, you know, like Jet Propulsion Laboratory and Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Laboratory, you know, they'll be bidding uh, on this solicitation also. So it's a big, you know, uh, a true competition for a scientific mission. Uh, so that's sort of novel for a student team to do. Fortunately, we've got great mentors at Marshall Space Flight Center and Goddard Space Center and industry here in town. We're really blessed with a lot of expertise around 
that are willing to, you know, advise and guide the students and come in and do reviews of the students' work and, you know, say, well, you, you got that right. You got to do something a little different here. So we're working on it. We anticipate bidding on that uh, later this fall. We had uh, proposed uh, for a ride share on the Artemis II mission, but unfortunately, NASA changed the mission design and uh, decided not to fly secondary payloads on Artemis II. Uh, we did learn informally that we had a very competitive proposal for that. Well, it's got to be encouraging. Uh, it's Well, it's discouraging and encouraging. You know, right. it's discouraging because the students and, were yeah. really psyched up about this, and they knew, you know, they'd worked really hard. And then to hear that, no, never mind, we're not going to carry rideshare. So they were, like, depressed one night and got up the next day and said, all right, we'll find another ride. And so that's sort of what they've done. And then uh, assuming Artemis three goes back and announces a rideshare opportunity, we will be cobbling together. We have to understand what their objectives. You know, usually NASA says, you know, these are the objectives for rideshare proposals. And so we'll have to see what their objectives are on Artemis three. We uh, will almost certainly propose against that. And, you know, hopefully we'll have the first student design mission to go outside of LEO lower Earth orbit. And of course, before you get to Artemis 3 or Artemis 2, Artemis 1 has to successfully uh, take place and you have to be excited about that. Tell us a little bit about uh, the potential for that launch coming up in maybe a few weeks, more likely a, a few months, and what uh, what will happen with Artemis 1? Yeah. So circling back to Artemis 1, uh, uh, you had asked earlier about you know what it's like to be a young engineer right now. And that's the other thing that's terribly exciting right now. Uh, you know, if you're a young engineer is, you know, Na NASA is now refocused to going outside of low Earth orbit. You know, we spent the last uh, 30 years or so in low Earth orbit with the shuttle and the International Space Station. We understand how to live and work in that environment now, and that's why you see commercial companies coming in. Okay. Now NASA is pointing back out to the moon where we're going to learn, if you will, relearn to live and, and work. And then that's the stepping stone then to going on to Mars, asteroids, Jovian moons, and so forth. You know, a long, sustained campaign of exploration. And that is, you know, between, you know, the CubeSats and things getting smaller and cheaper and commercial entrance into the launch market and exploration taking us outside of, you know, the low Earth environment, it... You know, I'm sort of at a loss for words as to the excitement I would feel if I were a college student right now, enthusiastic about space in a STEM field. It's just like it's the perfect time. I mean, that's a long way from a kid on Sand Mountain running outside to see if he can hear the, the, the rocket blasting <laughs> off, you know, in Huntsville. That's, that's got to be a long ways away. It is. Um, and it's been a, an amazing ride. Okay. Uh yeah, I've been truly blessed. I don't know what else to say on that. So for someone like yourself, and as you've described, who has been watching, who has been working uh, sort of toward this, I guess you can't call it a goal, it's more of a journey, working on this journey. Tell us why it is so important to take this journey. Why is it important to go back to the moon and beyond? So it's it's really all about exploration and discovery. Um you know, when we, uh, as humankind, learn, um, when we tackle hard problems, okay, we have to figure things out and learn more about how Mother Nature works. You know, 
Technology is nothing more than understanding how Mother Nature works. We can't do a thing with technology that Mother Nature doesn't let us do. So as we learn more and, you know, uncover and learn to apply new technologies uh, in order to solve previously unsolvable problems, we learn more and that knowledge in, in total we apply in other ways. You know, it's it's been said, and I'll leave to economists and so forth, but, you know, the real value of Apollo was, you know, all the uh, technologies that were applied to Apollo. It wasn't just Apollo. It was then you can start using them in other ways, adapting them to other problems that we face here on Earth every day. You know, people talk about communication satellites and, and all the communications and microelectronics. You know, all of that sort of came to a head during Apollo, and, you know, some would argue also during the development of the ballistic missiles, you know, that preceded Apollo. Those were hard problems. Hard problems had to be solved, and we are still benefiting from those technologies today in in other ways. Every time you make a cell phone call, you know, you work your way back to the roots of that technology, and it goes back to the 50s and 60s and, and the missiles and rocket programs. And finally, uh, Dr. Thomas, thanks for joining us. Uh, comment a little bit on the complexity of what it takes for the Artemis mission, which is going to go to the moon, circle, come back, among many other things. Uh, th- that's one of the things that just completely mystifies me uh, about it is, I mean, here at the radio station, you know, a hundred things have to go right in order for people to be able to enjoy their favorite program. With something like this, it's an order of magnitude far greater than that. How does one tackle the complexity of something like that, where you have so many things that have to go right perfectly in order for a mission to be successful? Yeah, so it, it's it really boils down to teamwork, and I know that probably sounds a little trite, but it, it's true. And that is the number one thing I miss from my career at NASA is the teamwork leading up to a launch is, you know, like nothing you'll ever see. You know, uh, all the, you know, the petty arguments and everything suddenly get set aside, and everybody is focused on doing what they can do, not just their job, but helping, you know, their partners and teammates do their job as well. And then, you know, after the mission is over, we sort of turn back into people with selfish desires and stuff until the next mission. But, yeah, it's, you know, I'll never forget very early in my NASA career, you know, somebody said to me, you know, you know how you eat an elephant? And I was like, one bite at a time. And that's how you pull off a complicated mission like Artemis is you look at all those hundreds or thousands of things that have to happen that are very difficult and you figure out how to do them one at a time. And, you know, it's it's teamwork that lets that all happen. Everybody has their job to do. It's no different on a different scale than, you know, a, a good football team. You know, when they have a good game, it's because the team – the members of the team know their job or basketball team. We've got a good basketball team here at UAH. You know, every teammate knows their job and they know what their teammates are supposed to be doing as well. And you got to work together. And that's how you solve these big complex problems. It's a big team working as one. 
And for you personally, what will be the most exciting thing or some of the most exciting things about seeing that first uh, test launch, that first run of the SLS? So the number one thing is I still have a lot of good friends who work uh, at NASA. Uh, I maintain contacts where I can uh, because they're just fantastic people and very smart and, uh, you know, still very passionate about their work. And the number one thing I'm going to enjoy watching it clear the stand is knowing how much it means to them with all the work they put into it. You know, it's just going to be fulfillment. Now, secondarily, I'll be selfish about it because, you know, uh, you mentioned earlier about working on Constellation. You know, a lot of the work we did in Constellation played forward to uh, the Artemis program in Orion. And, uh, yeah, I'll feel a lot of pride in that, too, for the small contributions that uh, I provided to Artemis and having it work and work safely what we learn from it we'll make some changes so that we fly Artemis 2 safely we'll make some changes fly Artemis 3 and uh, before you know it we have boots back on the moon and we're actually doing more on the moon than we did in Apollo we're learning about living and working on the moon and setting the stage for actually learning to go to Mars and notice I said learning. Uh, we've got to figure out a lot of the problems on going beyond the moon that we don't even know are problems yet. And spending some time on the, on the moon will let us do that. Well, thanks for spending some time with us here. Uh, anything else you'd like to add? Well, I'll just circle back and say, you know, it, um, it's a very exciting time to be a young engineer and uh, look at where things are trying to go. And, uh, you know, any good surfer says ride that wave until she spits you out. Are you a surfer? <laughs> no, but I, it's on my bucket list to learn to do. <laughs> so uh, I, I will get there. But, yeah, ride the wave until it spits you off. And, uh, you know, that's uh, what I encourage the young engineers to do. Go have some fun. Uh, and, you know, uh, other good words of advice I got as a young engineer, you know, when you're doing something you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And, uh, you know, a lot of space young space enthusiasts are going to have that opportunity and uh, so take advantage of it that was retired nasa program manager and current professor and eminent scholar at uah dr dale thomas talking about the upcoming artemis missions that will take humankind back to the moon into deep space and eventually to mars you can listen to this conversation again on a podcast of this show at WLRH.org and on the WLRH Facebook and Twitter pages. This is the Public Radio Hour on 89.3 Huntsville, our weekly mix of special programs, community conversations, and homemade radio features. I'm your host, Brett Tannehill. If you're interested in learning more about the Artemis missions and getting up close and personal with some of the technology, there are two amazing events coming up in the next few weeks that are free and open to the public. First, the Huntsville Science Festival Steam Fest 2021 takes place at the Von Braun Center on October 30th, and it's packed full of hands-on STEM activities, including a simulated rocket launch outside the VBC. And on November 6th, Downtown Huntsville welcomes Artemis on the Square, formerly known as NASA on the Square, a community block party to celebrate and recognize our role in the Artemis missions. It's one of many activities always going on in the downtown area. And a big reason for that is the team at Downtown Huntsville, Inc. Its CEO and President Chad Emerson arrived in Huntsville after serving as the Director of City Development in our state capital of Montgomery. So let's start there. Let's start in Montgomery. 
Uh, Montgomery, really one of the most historic streetscapes in America. Some uh, big moments have happened there. And uh, from my early days as a reporter, I remember being in Montgomery and the downtown was not what it is today. Maybe talk us through a little bit about your experience bringing downtown Montgomery up. Yes. So under the leadership of Mayor Bright and then Mayor Strange, I think city leaders recognize that just about everyone at every walk of life visit Montgomery because all the unique history, all of the political gatherings across the state people converge. And when they would arrive in downtown Montgomery, where the state capital is located, there wouldn't be a lot to walk and see and do an experience besides what they were there to do, work. And so we wanted to add elements of entertainment, food, beverage, people living downtown, such a beautiful riverfront, easy access to the interstate, the state capitol, the Supreme Court, all of these assets made for such a great opportunity to revitalize um, Alabama's capital city. And then shifting here to Huntsville, one of my earliest memories of Huntsville was uh, back from the early 90s, uh, playing in a band and touring around. And we would come to Huntsville, and the downtown area was not really developed. Uh, The Tip Top Cafe, which is no longer with us, was really one of the the main places to go and see live music. And that has just changed so much since then. Uh, We moved here 10 years ago. The downtown was sort of beginning to spring to life. And in those 10 years, it has taken these monumental leaps forward. Tell us a bit about your first experience in Huntsville, what it was like when you got here sort of your, your analysis of, of what you saw and how you were able to help build it up. One of the most appealing parts of the job when I came here in 2013 was that Huntsville, downtown Huntsville, had really good bones. And by what I mean by that is all the pieces were in place, beautiful architecture, beautiful views with Montesano, really um, interesting parks like Big Spring Park. They were all there and just hadn't been connected in a way that brought a lot of people downtown. And so Early on, we just started taking all of these assets downtown and figuring out unique ways to connect them, like food truck rallies, downtown open putt-putt courses, pop-up parks, these things that people just go out and walk and experience. And once they got used to being there, they would notice the beautiful setting, the beautiful buildings, and then they might want to stick around and have a dinner, have lunch, have a drink. Any similarities that you saw between Montgomery and Huntsville? You know, they're really actually very different cities. In some ways, that was what the exciting challenge was, whereas Montgomery is a state capital, and so people from all over every county of the state converge throughout, especially legislative session, which is an incredibly exciting time of year to be in downtown Montgomery because you get people and all of the advocates and all the lobbyists and everyone who are there as part of the infrastructure. In Huntsville, we're on an interstate spur kind of out of the way from I-65, you really, it's more of a destination place, but it's not as much transient traffic on the state level. It's really a national transient traffic. We'd have people coming in from across the country. And that was an exciting challenge because now you're appealing to people not just from our state, but from our country and all the things, all the ideas they bring with them, whether it's Northern Virginia, Chicago, St. Louis, California. 
and you've mentioned some of these other cities. I, I imagine that was part of the journey here in Huntsville was looking at what other people are doing in other places successfully. Uh, maybe talk about a few of your favorite downtowns around the South, around America, uh, that you may have borrowed an idea from. Yeah, so one of the things we quickly learned is, is really the idea of apples to apples. Compare your downtown and what you want it to be, what it could be, with other comparable downtowns. And so we can always learn something. Every downtown I go to, the largest to the smallest, I can learn something. But the real comparisons are places that are not a state capital. Okay, don't have a major college embedded in the downtown, right? We have UAH and A&M and Drake State all around us in Calhoun, but not really embedded into the infrastructure of downtown. And so you start taking out college towns like a Knoxville, start taking out state capitals. And what you find are places like Savannah, Georgia, uh, Charleston, South Carolina, even though the College of Charleston is downtown, Charleston, South Carolina, and Greenville, North Carolina, and Chattanooga, Tennessee, and all of these places that are similar in the sense that they're not state capitals, not conventional college towns, and largely survive on being an interesting place for people to gather. What are some of the things you see in those downtown areas that make them a healthy, vibrant place to live and work? When you go to downtown Savannah, you find yourself walking probably thousands of more steps on your Fitbit <laughs> than you normally would. And because ever around every corner, there's an interesting piece of architecture, an interesting coffee shop, all of Oglethorpe's famous squares, you know, all throughout the downtown area of Savannah. And so these great downtowns are ones that keep giving you little, little pieces of interesting things to keep exploring. And that's what we try to do in downtown Huntsville is all the way from the north side of downtown, all the way to the south side of downtown, and everywhere in between. There's always going to be something around the corner that catches your attention. Even if it's minor, it's a mural, it's some lights on trees or things like that. It's still enough to keep you exploring. And let's talk a little bit about uh, the courthouse. Uh, this is obviously going to be a, a major project in the downtown area. Uh, tell us how, in the short term, this is going to affect the downtown area and, and the vibrancy of it uh, during construction, and then kind of zooming out, what's it going to be like when it's finished, uh, the impact there? Well, there's really three significant public um, developments that are about to happen. First of all, the federal courthouse, which mm -hmm. is on the south side of downtown, and that's going to be incredible. It's going to be significant. It's going to take an empty piece of land and really create an identity right next to the hospital district, the medical district. And then you have City Hall under construction. And the new City Hall is going to be in a prime corner of downtown, which is now just a kind of a outdated parking deck. There's no activity there other than just looking at headlights of cars, right? Now you're going to have people engaged in commerce coming in and out. And then the county courthouse, they've announced plans to do both interior and some exterior renovations. So it's really great to see all three levels of federal and local. Um, got to find a good state project to do here. Then we have every single level of government. But it's not just the private development. When you have private development creating value in your downtown, then the public investments increase as well. What can people look forward to as these projects are coming online? I imagine lots of construction, but hopefully not a lot of disruption. Well, one of the things is to kind of manage the construction. There will be cranes and cones, and there will be um, some of those things that disrupt maybe what you're used to in part of downtown. But say, as one part of downtown, uh, the Monroe Corridor and City Center is coming online, you'll see this area around the, court, the City Hall you know, become a little more congested with cranes and cones and things like that. But the idea is that not everything is under construction at once. 
And uh, the city does an amazing job making sure that um, not all the roads through downtown close at once or not all the sidewalks close at once. And so you'll see some disruption, especially in the parking that people that use that deck across from early works. But by and large, it'll be worth it. And as we've seen over and over with the new hotels and the new office building, new lofts, the temporary inconvenience yields great results. We're talking with Chad Emerson with Downtown Huntsville, Inc. here on the Public Radio Hour. Uh, Chad, as always, we've touched on this, lots of things happening in the downtown area. And to help keep people in touch with what's going on, uh, Downtown Huntsville, Inc. has launched a new podcast. We were talking off mic uh, uh, before we turn things on here. Um, You're working with Maitland Conservatory a little bit on that. So tell us about the new Downtown what, what's it called? DHI Explorer podcast? Is that right? I, I think it has an official name. And if it, if it does, it's something like the Downtown Huntsville Explorer podcast. There we go. That's really inspired by our e-newsletter that comes out every Thursday, the Downtown Huntsville Explorer. The idea is that exploration, we create things that make you want to explore our downtown. So we've done podcasts and video logs. But one of the things, Brett, um, is actually a lot inspired by a lot of the kind of content that you all create here at WLRH is that longer form conversation. A lot of the stuff you do on social media videos are quick, snappy videos. You'll get, or if you do something for a television uh, newscast or a, a newspaper interview, by their very nature, they're they're just quicker, and you can't get that level of depth. Right. And so we thought to ourselves, wow, we have all of these inter- interesting visionaries, entrepreneurs, downtown leaders, public, private, that if we spend 20, 25 minutes talking with them, we would have a depth of knowledge that you know, it blows us away every time we talk to one of these chefs or one of these um, entrepreneurs or one of these city leaders. And so the idea was, let's have a 25, 30 minute conversation, a little more in depth about um, their experiences with downtown. And that's actually why I got into public radio is it does allow you more room to tell a story and have a conversation. And I think that people really do, especially in a, a city like this, they do crave that sort of more in-depth, involved uh, conversation. Uh, and I listened to the most recent podcast. Uh, your two guests were uh, Marsha Lindstrom and Jessica Stan- Sanders uh, talking about the upcoming Artis- Artemis mission. And I'm sure a lot of other people knew this, but I didn't. Uh, the NASA on the Square event that has been held in the past has been transformed into something brand new it's coming up November 6th. Artemis on the square. So tell us a little bit about this. This sounds incredible. So we've heard a lot, obviously over the years, going back to Mercury and Apollo, um, NASA is really fond of Greek god names, right? And so Artemis (laughs) is the sibling of Apollo. It's really the successor mission in the sense that we're going back to the moon with Artemis 1. Artemis 1 will be an unmanned launch on the massive SLS rocket that was designed here in Huntsville, and that will uh, go out into deep space further than further than we've been, if not ever, in a long, long time. And so the first Artemis mission will sometime this winter. And so we're trying to raise awareness in, in not just in the community, but in the nation and the world that all roads to the moon lead through Huntsville. They always have, right? The rockets and the capsules, everything designed to get you to these faraway places like Mars and or Moon and one day Mars, they're designed by the incredible engineers at Marshall Space Flight Center. And when you launch a rocket, Kennedy Space 
Center gets a lot of publicity because there goes the rocket up in the air, and, and people love to go down there, and that's great because they do an amazing job. And when Johnson uh, is talking to the astronauts from Mission Control, right, the iconic Mission Control, that's in Houston, and so Johnson Space Center gets a lot of that. But the idea is that Artemis was born in Huntsville, and all of those roads, all of those ways, you don't get to the moon without the engineering innovations that happened at Marshall Space Flight Center. So we'd like to raise awareness and say, hey, guess what? Without us, this probably wouldn't be happening without all of these incredible people. The advancements in human technology and outer space travel and exploration really is born out of the great people at Marshall Space Flight Center. So Artemis on the Square coming up November 6th, open to the public. You can come experience. Give us a little more uh, sense of what actually it will be like. What will people see? What can people do? Yep. So it's going to be 11 a.m. to 2 p.m., uh, Artemis on the square, November 6th. We're going to shut down three sides of the square. And on north side of the square, it's going to be themed to the first Artemis mission, so the stuff that's about to happen. On the west east side of the square, excuse me, will be uh, moon and gateway. Gateway is this big thing that's going to float up there and going to allow people to interact with the moon and go further away. And then on south side square is Mars and beyond. So Teledyne Brown, who Jessica works for, is our presenting sponsor. And then uh, we're having some really cool other, like, stage sponsors. Dell Technologies is our supporting sponsor. And then we have all of the other major contractors. Uh, I won't go through the list because I'll forget one, but they're all these major, both local companies as well as international companies. And they're all going to be throughout different sides of the square presenting, I like to call kind of a hipster science fair. It's not going to be as some of the uh, NASA's in the park we've done a lot more experiment based. This is going to be fun. It's going to be three hours of just fun, but it's going to be informative as well. You might be able to take a selfie in front of a moonscape. Uh, we're going to have a contest where we try to get 500 people to dress up as an astronaut. We'll have a drone take a picture. And if you participate, <laughs> you'll get a free cup of coffee. We'll give you a token right there. And so we want to have right an out-of-this-world experience at Artemis on the Square. And when I was listening to the Downtown Huntsville Explorer podcast with uh, Marsha and Jessica and yourself, uh, I heard a reference to beach balls, lots and lots oh, of yeah. beach balls. Am I spoiling a surprise here by bringing this up, or can you tell us about this? No, I'll give you a little background on that. So for um, the 50th anniversary, Dancing in the Streets, which was also on the square. Which was huge. Oh, yeah. my gosh. That was July 19. That's a different era, right? But yeah. we had, I mean, probably 10,000 people just packing the squares at night. It's great. And we were looking for some kind of thing, not confetti, which you have to clean up, or frisbees, which you could throw and maybe hurt somebody. Looking for something that you could do as that replica rover that Polaris had created comes rolling onto the square to kind of kick right. off the event. And so someone said, beach balls. It's it's summertime. You know, beach balls are fun. And, and it's really almost <laughs> impossible to get injured with a beach ball. I'm sure you could. But the, the number of beach ball-induced lawsuits are pretty low, right? And so we're thinking, what instead of like confetti, we had our, at the Teledyne was our sponsor for that, our partner again, uh, Jessica and her leaders were able to get on a little balcony and start throwing beach balls, almost like confetti and a parade as the rover comes in. And what was really cool is there, I think something like a thousand beach balls. And there were beach balls in the pools of Huntsville all summer long that were just celebrating um, the 50th anniversary. So beach balls are going to be back. We are going to launch a bunch more beach balls and it'll have to do with the dress like an astronaut promotion. So if you have an astronaut costume, it could be from Party City. It could be homemade. It could have been worn by one of your astronauts you know. If you have it, come down to the square at noon and November 6th. We're going to take a massive picture. We want at least 500 people dressed as an astronaut, and then we'll shower you with more beach balls. 
and Halloween is not yet here, so I do hesitate to skip too far ahead in the holiday season. But uh, Chad, while you're here, I do want to ask you about this year's Tinsel Trail. WLRH is once again uh, providing Tinsel Trail radio, and we're cooking up a few new surprises. And Tinsel Trail is continuing to grow. So can you give us any uh, a preview of what's to come? Not to spoil anything, but I, I know that uh, the, the popularity of the event is always increasing, and it seems like you cannot add enough trees to keep all the sponsors happy. That is true. That is 100% true. We sold out um, before Labor Day this year. Uh, what we do is we open Christmas in July for the returning tree sponsors, and, and like 80% of them returned. And then we had a few more trees. And we just, next year, we're going to grow it one more time, and it'll be the, really the final growth. So we're at about 325 trees. We'll probably get maybe to 350, 375. Uh, but it's at some point just the infrastructure. But this is the 10th anniversary of Tensile Trail this year. And so we're doing a lot of internal celebrations with the innovators at Downtown 47, the group that started Tinsel Trail, that worked so hard those first few years just to make it happen. All it was volunteer. just two rows of trees. Yeah, I mean, it was, but yeah. it was it was unprecedented. I mean, just now it seems like we have such a great partnership with the city, but that was such a new idea that that was like as an innovative as a, a Christmas promotion because I've had people from Oklahoma City, I've had people from California, from all parts of the country call and say, "Can we pick your brain about your Tinsel Trail? We want to know how." It works. And I say, you can do that. But the reality is it really gets started with a group of volunteers who wanted to do something fun, free, and inclusive. And so the 10th anniversary, we're going to celebrate. We recognize there are still some um, COVID realities out there. We were resilient, though. Last year is an outdoor events. We always say we follow the science, and the CDC right now is saying outdoor events remain safe. And so that's why we had Tinsel Trail last year. And that's why it's returning this year. And like you, it sounds like we've got a couple surprises. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Chad, thanks for stopping in. Uh, just one more final question. We've covered some of the amazing things happening uh, in, in the downtown area and all sorts of amazing things happening all across the city. And nothing like that happens unless people really pull together and work together. So in, in your opinion, what is the secret to making that happen? How do you get people to come together and create something uh, that the whole community can enjoy? You know, it's really developing that spirit of collaboration where you create settings where people, even if they're competitors and sometimes, can collaborate. And I think Artemis on the Square is that example in spades. You have all of these companies which compete for different contracts, very you know, vigorously compete for these contracts. But for this common goal where they're all working to take humans back to the moon and even beyond, they all come together. And for the single event, there's no competition. It's all collaboration. Not a single one of them has said, oh, well, we need to make sure this or that or whatever. They're all like, okay, how can we work together to make this a great event? And I think Huntsville, by its very nature, as a problem-solving community, you solve problems when you collaborate on solutions. And that's what I think is a big part of our success story. Thanks, Chad. You're welcome. Artemis on the Square happens November 6th and is open to the public. You can find more upcoming events on the Downtown Huntsville, Inc. website at downtownhuntsville.org. This is the Public Radio Hour on 89.3 Huntsville, our weekly mix of special programs, community conversations, and homemade radio features. Our original programming, like this program, is able to shine the light on our community thanks to donations from our listeners and community partners. And it's our fall fun drive, so we hope if you hear something you believe in and value, you'll become a sustaining member of this station with a monthly gift of $5 or more. 
please go to WLRH today and click the blue donate button. And if you can, make a contribution. Katie Ganaway has been exploring Huntsville's growing comedy scene in her occasional series, Funny You Should Ask, which airs on Arts Underground Saturday afternoons at 2 p.m. You can also find a podcast at WLRH.org. Just look under Programs, where you can also find podcasts for this show. In our final segment, Katie introduces us to comedian Elliot White, who is also a host and producer on both Awesome Comedy Hour and Epic Comedy Hour. Here's part of their conversation. I want you to talk about venues around here because I, I know, you know, you go to different bars and stuff like that to perform and then you have stand up live. But do you feel that there are enough venues for comedy around here? I wish there were more. Yeah. Uh, there are there are a few and Huntsville loves comedy. Mm-hmm. Huntsville is a town that well, they love all entertainment, but yeah. they really embrace comedy. And mm-hmm. I feel like Huntsville has some of the smartest audiences and like they get jokes. But they also like if you're telling just like a corny underlying like just sometimes a dumb joke can make a smart person laugh. Yeah. And Huntsville, I think, needs more comedy uh, venues right now. We do Epic Comedy Hour at the Low Mill right. every month. And then we also do Awesome Comedy Hour uh, and we do that at Liquor Express. Mm-hmm. Um, and Epic is at uh, Theater Hunts, where Theater Huntsville is right now. Yeah, where okay. Theater Huntsville is in the Low Mill. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. Uh, we've and we've been there longer than Theater Huntsville yeah, has. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's probably the longest running thing that's been in the probably Low Mill. Flying Monkey, I guess. Then. Yeah, 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 back when it was Flying Monkey, mm-hmm. and after Flying Monkey, it was Barking Dog. Oh, the and, good old days. Yeah, it's, it's changed hands a couple times, but yeah. Epic hasn't gone anywhere. Right, right. Yeah. I want to get back on the career sort of thing. So you have a day job. Yes, and you, I do you work. Work. I'm so sorry. Can you remind me what? I work in a pharmacy. You work in a pharmacy. <laughs> so does your comedy carry into your job? So I tell a lot of people, like, with still having a day job, like, I do what I have to do to do what I want to do. Do people recognize you? It has. <laughs> it has awesome. happened. Especially, like, with the stand-up live being here. Mm-hmm. I've worked at like a couple of different pharmacies in town because I work for a chain. Yeah. And so I've bounced around and people are like, hey, I saw you this weekend. And, then, <laughs> and that's a great feeling. But then it's also like, oh, they know that. That's not right. my full time <laughs> job. They're like, oh, this guy, this guy selling me pills is just, I thought you did that for a living. Never mind. Maybe you're not that great. Oh, no, no. <laughs> But yeah, it's it's always a strange feeling getting recognized for mm-hmm. your art or your performance like outside of the venue. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, after the show and they're like, hey, you did a good job. I really like that. I liked yeah. your jokes. But like I've had people recognize me in like the grocery store. Oh, yeah. And they're just like, I know you. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, I don't rem- I don't remember you. Like, right, where right. have we met? And they're like, no, I know you. And I was like, how do you how do we know each other? Yeah. And they're like. I saw you at Stand Up Live, and I'm just like, oh, oh yeah. well, you saw me. I don't know if that means you know me. Yeah, yeah. Like, I talk about myself on stage, so you know things about me. But right, like, right. I don't know. They imply like we knew each other. I'm like, did I forget like a grade school friend? Yeah. Is this? It's kind of awkward a little bit. Yeah. yeah. It, well, especially like the way I perform, it feels like a conversation. It's yeah. a dialogue that turns into a monologue. Right. Uh, but. <laughs> It's also a way where, like, I open up and I talk about myself a lot, but I don't know anything about these people. So when they say, like, I know you, I'm just like, yeah, I guess, but I don't know you. (laughs) 
So I want to talk about the comedy scene expanding in Huntsville, because you said, you know, Huntsville loves comedy. There are a good number of venues for people to go out to. But how would you like to see that grow even more? Um, so as Huntsville's growing, uh, there are some there's some things in the mix. Me and <gasps> um, me and my co-producers are talking about doing a couple more shows. Okay. Uh, but as Huntsville's growing, like I want to see comedy in some alternative venues. Yeah. Though I love like the club and like low mill. Like I would love to see it in more like coffee shops and okay. more like things that are friendly to everybody because some people don't like to drink they don't want to go to bars so mm -hmm. it's just like even more restaurants like yeah. we do open mics here and there but like i want to see stuff where we can get more people out and spaces that they feel more comfortable in do you have, do you see like a crossover between the comedy scene in huntsville and the music scene in huntsville kind venue wise venue wise mm -hmm. not really okay. more more people are open to having music somewhere than they are to having comedy right. which is a mistake they need to have both yeah. uh, and I think it, I think it's a missed opportunity on a lot of the businesses mm -hmm. because people love to laugh yeah. but businesses know it's real easy to get a guy with a guitar and yeah. just put them in a corner and I, I love both yeah I, I agree I think that'd be a really think, cool crossover yeah I think it's a missed mm -hmm. opportunity and as like things are opening back up and like people and Huntsville still growing as people are coming to this town and more businesses are opening. Like I said, me and my co-producers are working on getting some more alternative, not just stand-up comedy, but alternative types of shows in Huntsville right. and just like in different types of venues. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you'll see some more soon. Nice. Um, and I have a few questions to end on that I ask Ooh. all the comedians. So first off, who makes you laugh the most? I gotta say my grandpa. Oh really, why is that? Yeah, because uh, he is silly, nonsensical, uh, <laughs> and just, just has a lot of stories, has done a lot in his life, and like, I am a first generation American, like okay. on my dad's side, and mm -hmm. like second generation on my mom's side. So like, just hearing his experiences and stories and stuff yeah. always makes me laugh. What's your favorite corny joke to tell? <sighs> Okay, my favorite corny joke. It's not my joke, okay. but it is. It's like a street joke, and it makes me laugh every time I think about it. Okay. So I just found out I'm a transformer, and boy, are my arms tires. <laughs> and it makes me laugh every single time I think about it. It's so corny, and it's so before. dumb. But I laugh every time I think about it. I'll be in my car just driving, and I'm right. just like, oh, my God, pull your arms, tires. Yeah, and it'll just bring me out of a funk. Yeah, yeah. like popsicle stick jokes are just something so we need good. sometimes, right? So good. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any hidden talents? Do I have any hidden talents? Yeah. Um... No, <laughs> okay. I I don't know. I uh, I I play some instruments. I play the drums you and the piano. You're in a band. Yeah, I play okay. the drums and I play the piano. What was that like? So everybody in a band wants to be a comic, and every comic <laughs> wants to be in a band. I'm telling you, uh, like that's the crossover between the music scene go. and the comedy scene in Huntsville. Right. Every musician thinks they're hilarious, mm -hmm. especially like the lead singer mm -hmm. or like the lead guitarist. You'll see them on stage because you have that lull, you know, between, between songs. songs and you're like, yeah. what are you gonna do? The, tell jokes again? They tell a couple jokes, but if their jokes don't do well, they can just start playing music, and everybody <laughs> forgets that, that they. Yeah, if I tell a joke and it doesn't do well, I can't just like, hey, somebody Air grab guitar. me. Yeah, grab me the my drum set quick. <laughs> 
I need to just start, yeah, just dueling banjos on stage if I tell a joke and it doesn't land. (laughs) And just... Just stop in the wings. You have an assistant. Toss it over. Toss over over the banjo. (laughs) Quick. What comedians should we be watching, local or otherwise? Local or otherwise. Yeah. Local, please be watching me. Of course. Um, I need, Elliot White, I need yes. the support. Um, <laughs> couple of comics that I like really, really enjoy. Uh, I really like Ali Sadiq. He's come to Huntsville a couple times, and I think he's just very just conversationally funny but like just makes you feel involved very casual like on stage literally sits down and a lot of stand-ups you will hear them argue against sitting on stage but he does it in a way that just makes you feel like you're at home Mm -hmm. uh very smart just very funny comic um i'm also just a fan of like hannibal burris some of some just like the names everybody (laughs) talks about chris rock yeah Yeah, yeah. like yeah i love all the regulars but ali sadiq is one of my favorite comics what do you admire in a comic i admire a comic when i see them tell a joke that is just so obvious, but they do it in such a creative way. When I see a comic or hear a comic tell a joke that I'm just like, I could have wrote that, but why didn't I? Yeah. And it's just, it's it's almost like a jealousy thing, but does it's- it sh- Does it shape your set then when you see that? When I see, well, it makes me want to do better. Okay. <laughs> it just, it makes me want to, because honestly, like there's not a lot of new joke subjects like we're all telling the same 10 jokes but you're approaching it in different like that's the thing about comedy like it's supposed to unite like Mm. that's the thing about humor is it's something that we all find in common sometimes when people don't get a joke that's one thing but like your goal is to make people like unite you're supposed to have them like oh i get this yeah so it's just like when we're talking about a similar subject i'm just like oh they approached it in such a creative way in such a way that like i wouldn't even have thought to and it's just like i need to re-examine like some of my jokes and try to approach it in a more creative way and personally, what are your goals for Awesome Comedy Hour and Epic Comedy Hour? My goals is just to see it continue to get better and better, yeah. like to grow. And people people know about Epic, and I want people to know about Awesome in the same light and just have those shows sell out every month. I want yeah. people to see how great of comics like we have in Huntsville and like the surrounding area because we get a lot of people from like – the Southeast region. And then sometimes we get people from like all over just traveling through. Like Dulce Sloan. Yeah. Hello. We've had like really, really yeah, big Kenny comics. DeForest, people yeah. that have gone on to do like Netflix and mm-hmm. the tonight show and have been on comedy central and like, yeah. So we've had really, really big comics. So it's get just in the know Huntsville. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta know. Hope you enjoyed that segment of funny. You should ask. It's an occasional series that Katie Ganaway produces for her show, Arts Underground, which airs Saturday afternoons at 2 o'clock. You can find their full conversation at WLRH.org. Look under Programs for Arts Underground or the Public Radio Hour. Thanks to Katie and Elliot. Also thanks to Downtown Huntsville, Inc. CEO and President Chad Emerson. And thanks to retired NASA program manager and UAH eminent scholar, among many other titles, Dr. Dale Thomas, for talking to us about the Artemis missions and about interesting things happening around the downtown area. Thanks for listening and have a great night.